Okay, so today my message title is Harvest to Table. Harvest to Table. And I'm talking about the harvest of the Lord and what happens after the harvest. But before I get into anything too deep, I want you to know where I'm coming from. I want you to know the lens in which I see um, life. I, myself, and my husband both have a passion for missions. Um, We just love seeing people come to know the Lord and be discipled. Um, We have a passion for missions in the term of discipleship, not just evangelism, but discipleship specifically. We want to see people come to know the Lord and then walk through the process of being discipled um, and just living passionately for him. And that's just our heart. We just love people that much. We love doing life with people. And so I see the world kind of through that passion lens. And I know we all have different passions. We all, The Lord's given us different perspectives, and that's because he's so amazing and so big and so great. And so I want you to hear my heart as I share that I share from that place of just wanting to see others um, walk along with us. And I want to see others become discipled and not only become discipled, but then disciple um, the world as well. And so most often when I'm asked to speak, I I typically lean towards this kind of lens. I lean towards that direction of what I'm passionate about. I think every pastor has uh, something like a a niche where they, they typically, every message they preach, it comes from the lens which they see the world and um, that's mine. So today we're talking about harvest to table. And I received this message actually while working in the garden with my in-laws. My in-laws, um, dad's parents, are amazing people. Um, they're really great people. And they have been, they've done a garden most of their life. They do this massive garden. And they haven't for the last couple years. And so Thad and I went to them and we're like, you know, if you do the garden this year, uh, we're, we're going to be there to help because they're getting older and they, they haven't really wanted to do as much. And so we're, we committed to help. And when we did that, I had no idea what I was committing to. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't know if any of you have gardens, um, but they don't have just like a little like 10 by 8 garden in their backyard. Like they have this like, in my mind, it's a field. Like it's a field of garden. It's so big. Um, like rows and rows. I think they had like eight rows of tomato plants. And... Um, not small ones either. So we just, we volunteered to help. We had no idea. I think Thad did a little bit, but he, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. Because um, if we had a garden growing up, it was like this little tiny thing. And so we've been working a lot in the garden. We got to help uh, sow the seeds. Um, I thought that was the easy part. Turns out there is no easy part to gardening. It's all difficult. Um, so we got to help plant the seeds. That took days of planting and we got to help um, pick we got to help um, make sure the weeds were down we put the the tarps over so that the weeds wouldn't grow up Um, we got to help can I picked beans we picked green beans um, which takes like a day to pick beans and um, try with three little kids running around that's even more fun they like pick a bean throw one on the ground pick a bean put it in the bucket pick a green throw it on the ground um so we picked beans and then we when you pick beans you can't let them sit like they have like this it's like a time frame they have to be if they sit too long they'll go bad like they won't be useful so once you pick beans and the way they plant beans we're talking like rows of beans like we can't eat that many beans 
um, within days. It's just not possible. So they pick them and they can them. And um, so we picked them and we canned them. And then we picked them again, and then we canned them again, and then we picked them again. Because it turns out beans come on like three times. Um, I did not know that. And so it's just this long process of, of picking and then preparing and then making it ready. And um, it's been quite fun. I don't know if you are the person who will go pick a tomato out of the garden and just stick it in their mouth and eat it. Um, I, I have a nephew that does that kind of stuff. They'll just like ride his dirt bike around and then stop at the garden and pick something and just take a bite of it. Um, or pick a green bean and eat it fresh or pick some lettuce out of the garden and just chomp on it. But I am not that person. I'm not the person who just takes a tomato and takes a bite or an onion um, and takes a bite. I would like to believe that I am the rule and everyone else is the exception to the rule. Um, the people that eat things out of the garden are the exception that just will eat it. But I think if nothing else, when you pick something, at least at the bare minimum, you have to wash it. Like at the bare minimum, if I'm going to pick an apple off the tree, I would prefer to wash the apple before I eat it. I know that I'm not, I know that's not everybody. But um, there's a process that goes into making something edible, that makes something um, pleasing or good um, or even yummy. There's a process. Like, for instance, in the, the garden when we pick tomatoes, um, we, she grows that many tomatoes so that we can can sauce and salsa and other things. But we can sauce so that the whole family, um, they're, all of their children, they have five children and their families, have sauce. And we don't have to buy sauce at the store all year long. But sauce doesn't just come from, you can't just squeeze a tomato and put it on your pasta. There's a process into making that sauce. You know, you pick the tomatoes, and then you cut the you clean the tomatoes, and you cut the tomatoes, and you cook the tomatoes, and then you have to, to squeeze the tomatoes, squeeze out the skins, and then you put the tomatoes back in, and you throw some other things at the tomatoes, and then you cook it more, and you put a lot of heat, a lot of pressure, and finally you put it in jars, and you pressure it, and then it goes in storage until it's utilized. It's a process, um, which is what I wanted to put on the screen. Getting something ready for the table, it's not just we pick it and it's good. Harvesting is not that easy. Um, harvesting is a process. And a lot of times, you know, we hear about sowing and reaping in church. So we all know the concept. You plant something, it reaps something. Um, but, and maybe we even heard the, the verse where Jesus talks about how um, we have that too. The verse where Jesus talks about the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Maybe we've heard that as well. But what happens, what does that look like? What does it look like to harvest in the kingdom of God? You know, we all kind of know what it looks like to harvest vegetables and harvest fruit, and it doesn't just look like picking it sometimes. Sometimes it's, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just picking it and eating it, but there's the process to make it prepared or ready to eat, and what does that look like when we're talking about the kingdom of God? You know, the, pro the process of, of going through and walking through the harvest. Um, the Lord's just really been speaking that to my heart as I've been in the garden lately, 
Um, it's just, it's, I mean, I could tell you um, experience after experience of the Lord speaking to me just through gardening alone. Um, but I want to tune in today on this process. And so the first thing I want to share is that um, the first part of the process, if I'm going to do three steps, because Pastor Joey's a fan of the three-point three, three uh, point sermon, so I'm going to share three points with you today in preparation. That's what I decided. And so the first point is he called them. So who I'm talking about when I say he is what I feel or who I feel um, is the ultimate example for us when it comes to harvest in the kingdom of God, and that's Jesus. You know, Jesus is our example. We're supposed to model ourselves after Jesus, and that does not exclude um, the harvest. He, show, he tells us to harvest, but then he shows us how to harvest, and I think sometimes we miss the fact that Jesus models it so very, very clearly, and I believe he models it through these three things, and the first thing he did was he called them. So when I talk about them, Jesus's harvest specifically were the disciples, the other people who listened to him, the other people that followed him. They were Jesus's clear harvest in the Bible. And the first thing he did was he called them. I'm going to be a lot in Luke this morning. So in Luke 5, you know, it's the, when Simon was called by Jesus. It talks about, in the Bible, different, and when Jesus called different people. But in Luke 5, we're talking about Jesus calling Simon. And Simon was just minding his own business when God called him, when Jesus called him. He was just doing his job. He was fishing. Um, he, he, I don't know what he was thinking about because I wasn't there. But he was just doing what he did Monday through Friday. He's doing what he does. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he performs this miraculous miracle, and he, he fills his net with fish. He does this sign for Simon, and Simon knows right away, like, who is this man? Like, this, this man is doing something miraculous. His attention is caught. He experiences what I believe. He encounters the presence of God himself in Jesus, and he knows there's something there. And Jesus says to him, you know, Come, follow me, be fishers of men. And just like that, I love this story. Just like that, he drops his stuff and he goes. He doesn't question it. He doesn't doubt. He just goes. Jesus called him. Jesus called his disciples. He called those around him. And they left everything and they followed him. And I believe this is the first step in harvest in the kingdom of God. And that applies to us as well. You know, for every single one of us, we had, you either have had this moment with God or he wants you to have this moment. And for me, I remember so clearly the moment where God called me. I was a junior, I was about to be a senior in high school. I was 17. I was having a lot of conversations with God at the time. It wasn't like I just out of the blue was like, hey God, what's up? But I, I grew up in the church and I was having lots of conversations with God. Um, I was very frustrated, to be honest. I was at a time in my life when I was frustrated with everything around me. My parents moved me from Missouri to Ohio that year. Um, the day after my junior year, they said, we're going to go to Ohio. And so I, that sounds like such a minor deal now. But at the time when I was a 17-year-old, that was huge. I had to say goodbye to my whole world. 
And I was just mad. I was angry at God. And I was like, why would you do this? Like, I had it all figured out. I had my friends. I had the guy I was talking to. Like, it was all good. And then all of a sudden, God just moved me. And I kind of blamed him, and I was frustrated with him. And I had lots of conversations with him about this. And there was just one night in my bed. Um, we were living with my grandparents at the time. And I was just crying out to God out of frustration and I just felt his presence hit me. And I just knew at that moment, you know, God, you're 100% real, and I just want you. Like, I am following. That was my moment, like Simon had. It didn't look like this big, miraculous miracle to other people, but for me, it was a miracle in my life. I received peace. I received confidence. I received power. And I just knew that that was God calling me to serve him all of my days. And so all of us either have had this moment or God longs for us to have this moment. He longs to call you. You know, in the, at the beginning when, G, when God was creating the world, it says time and time again, he saw it and he, it was good. You know, on the sixth day when he was done creating, he looked at everything and he said, it is good. He delighted in his creation. He delighted in us. He delighted in everything that he made. I, with my mom, I did a catering gig yesterday, and she does catering on the side, and we did a after-wedding brunch for a family, and I actually, my mom asked me to help her bake a couple things. I like, I bake on the side sometimes, um, and so I actually got to bake with Allison. She came over, and she helped me but I was baking it, and I was so proud of it. We were so proud of what we uh, made. You know, it was, it was like, oh, this is so good. And then when my mom and I were laying out the spread for the, the brunch, I just, like, had this moment where I stepped back and was like, man, that looks good, specifically the stuff I made. <laughs> it's like, that looks so good right now. It's, it looks so yummy. Like, I was ready to eat, and I couldn't eat. But that's how God feels, you know, when he looks at us. He says, that, there's, that's, they're good. It, I see it, and it is good. If you haven't encountered him, if he hasn't called you to walk with him, he wants to. He sees you, and he says, that is good. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've associated with, you know, God, you are God's creation. He loves and values you. He sees you and calls you good, and he wants to call you. He wants you to be utilized. He doesn't want you to sit like a tomato in a, in a pot and rot. He wants you to be utilized and useful in his kingdom, and he's called you to do that. So my first point is God has called them. He called them. The second thing is he taught them. Like I said, Jesus is our ultimate example of what it looks like to harvest in the kingdom of God. And so he didn't just call Simon. He didn't just say, hey, come, follow me, and then just like walked around. But he taught him. They did life together. They ate together. They traveled together. They slept in the same places. They did life with each other. And Jesus constantly taught his disciples what it means 
to be like him. What the kingdom of God was. He spent time, he invested in them. And you know that process, just like canning those tomatoes, it's hot. It takes a long time. It's not convenient. It's not planned around your schedule. For me, there's been a lot of weekend plans that we had to change because when the beans are ready, the beans are ready. When the tomatoes are ready, they are ready. You can't just let them sit because if you let them sit, they go bad. The process of learning is not an easy one. The process from going to, from the fields and being called to being useful is not always an easy process. There's a lot of pressure involved. There's a lot of change involved. It doesn't always look the same. When the tomato comes out from, when you have the sauce, it doesn't quite look like a tomato anymore. And it can't really go back to being a tomato either. It's a different, it's different. And Jesus modeled that with the disciples. You know, we can read that. We can read the stories of Jesus, you know, taking them along in his life in the New Testament, in the Gospels. I mean, these, these disciples that he taught were just average people. They were fishers. They were businessmen. They were just normal guys that Jesus decided to take along with his life and to teach them. He called them. They followed him. He taught them. It's so important for us to to realize that, that it's not always easy. It's not always easy for us to go through. And I think the second thing we need to realize is that we have to look at this from two perspectives. We have to look at this from the perspective of this is me that we're talking about, but also this is the person that I'm living life with that we're talking about. This is the person that I am watching grow it's not always easy, and there's a lot of times a lot of pressure that goes in the process of being discipled, of being harvested. The, the last thing that I want to share is that he sent them. And this is what I really want to hit on today, is that he sent the disciples. So it wasn't all for nothing. Um, he, all that pressure wasn't for no reason. I think a lot of times in, our ch- in the church, we're like, man, this life is hard, and we go through all this pressure and all this change, and then we just sit there. And it's, it's almost like the pressure and the change and the learning and the growing is wasted because we just sit there. We don't get to the end result. And, and I feel like the, the end part of this is that Jesus didn't just teach them for no reason. He didn't just teach them so he'd be like, okay, I'm going to go now. I'm glad you know a lot of information. He, Jesus taught them so that they could in turn do what he did. He sent them out. He sent the disciples out to model what he had shown them. It's like raising a child, I'm hoping for. I'm hoping this is what it looks like because I'm not to the end part of that yet, so I'm going to speak from what I know. Um, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a one-year-old, and I really hope the end, I'm in the pressure right now. I'm in the pressure part, (laughs) Um, and I'm hoping the end result is a beautiful sauce. But they... It's like we want them to grow and we want to teach them and we're modeling the behavior that we want them to learn, hopefully. We're modeling it for them. 
So not just so that they can one day like graduate and become an adult and just like sit on their bum and you know just be like, "Hey, I'm an adult now." But for a reason, for a purpose. We're teaching them, we're modeling it for them so that the in turn that they can be fruitful as adults too, so they can be successful as adults. You know, so that they can have jobs and they can um you know, be happy and find spouses and love people and so that they can have a decent life. We're modeling behaviors that we want them to learn so that they can, you know, have a decent life. And I feel like that's what Jesus was doing when he taught them. He was modeling the behaviors he wanted the disciples to learn for the reason to send them. I want to read in Luke 10. Luke 10. This is when Jesus sends out the 72. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is the verse I read earlier. And he asked the Lord of the harvest, he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So I want to stop there. He doesn't say, it doesn't say, the harvest is plentiful, but the pastors are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the pastors into the harvest field. It doesn't say that, and I think sometimes we think it does, myself included. Like even when I stepped off of the, um, stepped down from working at Rock of Grace, I think sometimes you think, you know, okay, that means that I'm done for a while. But that's not what Jesus, that's not his heart for us. His heart is that we are the workers and we are the ones that he is sending. We are the ones who get to be a part of the harvest and to to see the harvest. It's not always the pastor who is the one who gets to be a part of the harvest. Sometimes the pastor is the one just sowing the seeds. And I think sometimes we get the seeds confused with the harvest. Sometimes we get sowing confused with harvesting, and we we think we're doing a good job because we're out at work telling people Jesus loves them, and God bless you. Have a good day. Sometimes we pat ourselves on the back for that. Like, I am doing what the Lord wants because I'm saying God bless you to everyone I see today. Not that 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 is totally a great thing, and I'm not discouraging that one bit, but I'm saying that's not what it looks like to harvest. That's sowing some seeds. And a lot of the times, that's what pastors get to do, is they get to plant a lot of seeds. What it looks like to see the harvest is when you go out, us, the workers, go out, collect it. You know, we experience God calling people. We experience God teaching people because we're right there with people learning. And we're right there teaching each other. We sharpen each other. And that's what, we're part of the harvest. We're the workers in the harvest field sharpening each other. I'm going to keep going. So he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So he's like, pray that God sends out workers. And then he says to the same people, go. So he doesn't just say pray. He doesn't just say pray for the missions field, pray for the people. He doesn't just say, you know, you need to get on your knees and pray however we are supposed to because it says. But then the next word he says is go. Pray, then go. I'm sending you out. This, this is kind of intimidating right here. It says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
It's not going to be easy. It's going to be pressure. There's going to be heat. He doesn't promise that our life is going to be rainbows and sunshine and unicorns. Sorry, I have a three-year-old little girl. <laughs> Time out for a second. My mom just told me, she had my kids last night, and uh, she said that my, my oldest son was in her room sleeping on a, a little mattress on the floor. And in the middle of the night, he had this uh, nightmare. And my mom said he was screaming over and over again, Grandma! Nora won't stop getting into the sparkles. And she said he was hysterical. Like, she's like, he was just hysterical about Nora getting into the sparkles, like screaming to grandma. Anyway, sir, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. It's not all sparkles and glitter. It's hard. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Just go. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there. I love this. So he's sending out people, and he's not necessarily saying, go stand on the street corner and preach to everyone who walks by. Jesus is sending these 72 people, and he's saying, go into homes and stay there. The next word is my favorite, just so you know. It says, eat, eating. <laughs> stay there and eat. Amen. <laughs> Stay there and eat and drink whatever they give you, for the workers deserve his wages. I feel like the Lord loves community. The Lord loves when we commune with each other, when we have relationship with each other, when we eat together. Amen. That's what he did. He sent them out to be in homes. He says, do not move around go from house to house says, when you enter into a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's what he did. He sent the 72 out. This is in chapter 10. In chapter 9 of Luke, he sends the 12 disciples out. That's not on the screen. I apologize. But he sends the 12 disciples out just the chapter before, saying the same thing. Go, declare, preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. You know, he's been spending time teaching, teaching, teaching. And at some point, I find it so amazing that Jesus did that before he died. He sent them out before he died. He wasn't just like, okay, I'm gone, so now it's your turn. He, sent, he said, you know what, I'm here, I've taught you, go. It's not like when, the, when someone retires, you know. Okay, so someone's retired. Someone else has to take their place. That's not, that's not exactly how it looked like in this situation. Jesus trained them, taught them, sent them. He was still there. He was still preaching and teaching. I feel like that's the part that some, this is the part of the harvest that sometimes we miss because we get so excited just about the harvest part. You know, we get so excited that the field is full. You know, the pumpkins are coming in right now. So when you look out into a field and see like all these huge orange pumpkins, you get so excited because those pumpkins are out there. This is exciting. Yes, the harvest is coming in. But if we leave them out there, they rot and die. And it's just a pretty picture for a short time. But what's so important about the harvest is that we actually go pick them and utilize them, make them ready to be useful. You know, Jesus talks about 
um, it's in Luke. I think it's Luke 4. But Jesus is talking, he says actually the same thing. He talks about the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But just before he says that, he talks about how um, he doing the work of the Lord is, brings, it's, it's satisfying to him. Like it fulfills him. He says doing the work of his father fulfills him. And then he says, you know, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. He's, when he talks about the work of the Lord, he's talking about going out into the harvest. And that is so satisfying. When you go out into the harvest and you do life with each other. And you watch Jesus. When you watch the Lord and Holy Spirit call people. When you watch him walk people through their life. When you watch people discipled. And when you watch people go. That is so satisfying and fulfilling to see that happen in people's lives. And God has that for us. You know, it's not okay for us to just get stuck in the learning part. That is a very necessary part of the process. But if I cook that sauce and I keep cooking it and I keep cooking it and I keep cooking it, eventually there's going to be no sauce left. It's going to be no good. It's not okay for us to get stuck in that gleaning process. So that's comfortable sometimes. We're, sometimes we get there and we're like, I don't really want to get to the part where I'm useful. Like, I just want to sit here. And it's not okay to get stuck there because God has something so much greater for us. He has called us. And what he's called us to do is to model him, is to be like Jesus, to share the kingdom of God with everyone we meet, to be laborers in the harvest, 